welcome back to part two of the podcast, in which we finish Christian's interview with Colm. In this part, they talk about Martin Gardner. Then we'll be hearing from me and Christian about what happened at the British Science Festival earlier this month. We should talk about Martin Gardner, because you've mm-hmm. got, I don't know, quite a strong link with Martin Gardner, and uh, you're involved in all the, the gatherings for Gardner stuff and Celebration of Mind mm-hmm. things. When did you first meet him? Well, my, my first interaction with Martin is interesting. I, I got interested, as I mentioned, in mathematical card magic in particular in the late 90s. I, I had read some of Martin's books as a teenager, but I'd kind of forgotten them. And to be perfectly honest, if anybody had asked me outright, I would have assumed that he had passed on because he seemed like a, an yeah. older man when I was a teenager. Of course, he did end up living to an extremely ripe old age. He was 95 and a half when he left us. But I did. I hadn't heard of him for years, and you know, people used to talk about Scientific American in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, and Martin's writing first. That hadn't been mentioned for decades, so I kind of assumed that maybe he wasn't with us anymore. And somebody said, "Oh no, Martin's alive and well. He's retired, and he lives in Hendersonville, North Carolina. You should write to him." And I said, "Why would I write to him?" And they said, "Well, you're interested in mathematical magic. Maybe he can make some suggestions." So what happened was, in August 2000, there was a conference in Los Angeles at which I gave a mini course on mathematical card magic, and I had to prepare notes for that. So I basically stole left, right, and center uh, for Martin and anything else I could find and just typed it up, latexed it in a way that made sense to me. And I took a gamble, and somebody gave me Martin's address, and I posted him, I think it was a 50-page handout, and he wrote back, and interestingly, this letter turned up this morning. I was cleaning out the basement here looking for it, because I had no idea where I'd left it, and I finally found it. And here it is, 18th of June, 2000. Dear Colin Mulcahy, many thanks for your letter on all the great enclosures. You've done a fine job of selecting good mathematical card tricks and explaining them so clearly. Maybe you should write a book about them. I think the MAA would be interested. I knew Fitch Cheney slightly. He died many years ago. I agree that his five-card trick is a gem. And then he goes on to say some more things. So I was quite stunned to get this letter back from this very famous person. Mm. And uh, I, I wrote back and said, well, thank you for your kind remarks. Uh, but to be honest, what I've done is basically take your stuff and just rearrange it. W- would you be interested in doing a joint project on this? And he wrote back and said he was too busy. He had some other projects. Of course, in hindsight, he never did any joint writing with anybody. But he was very generous. He just said he actually invited me up to his library, which I foolishly didn't take advantage of at the time. Both papers are now at Stanford University. But he said, come up and look through my files. He had, you know, 50 years worth of files. He said, come up and look through my files. Take what you want. Use what you want. I don't care. You're welcome. Stay a week. Incredibly generous offer to a guy he didn't, you know, he didn't know who he was. I missed the boat. And he ended up retiring to Oklahoma and giving all his papers to Stanford. But in time, I phoned him. We chatted. And he said, why don't you come out and visit? So I did. I think I visited him three times. And he was such a lovely man. He lived in a retirement home, and unlike the other people there, he was extremely active. He worked standing at a desk for about eight hours a day. He didn't sit down. He was a trooper, and he just worked, worked, worked. Um, I think the first time I met him was 2005 or 2006. He published four books between then and when he died four or five years later. That's more than most people do in a lifetime. <laughs> but he was such a sweet man, very generous, very kind. When you look at photographs of him on the back of books, he tends to look a little severe, and I tried to photograph him, and I had the same results. He was very shy, and he really froze when the camera came out. In spite of being well-known and famous, he could not relax in front of the camera. Although I did snap one photograph of him that I was proud of. I, I, I made him stand in front of a bookcase, 
which had six shelves in it, and every book on that shelf was one he had written. <laughs> and I called it Martin Gardner standing by every word he ever wrote. <laughs> That's close, very good. A close-up of his face from that picture, looking a little less grumpy than usual. He never looked grumpy in person, but he looked grumpy when the camera came out. A close-up of that picture was actually used by Time Magazine and the New York Times in their obituaries on him. Hmm. So uh, it turned out to be one of the better pictures taken of him in his, in his later days. That's good. But uh, he was extremely generous and helpful and supportive. Yeah, and he's he's got a quite a strong legacy now with the the Gathering for Gardener seems to be going and very strong. An enormous legacy. Well, the Gathering for Gardener was started about 20 years ago, coincidentally here in Atlanta. It's a kind of a secret, well, for many years it was a secret insider conference. It was happening in my back door here, a few miles away, and I didn't know anything about it. It happened every two years. I had no interest in it. <laughs> I wasn't connected to the right people. Yeah. The kinds of people who went, it was a small number in the early days. It was people like Randy and Tennant Teller and, you know, Ray Smullyan, who wrote a book back in 1978 called What is the Name of This Book? Hmm. In 78, that was extremely revolutionary. He's an old friend of Martin's who's also now in his 90s. So it was, it was kind of the old guard, pals of Martin's. But as time goes by, it has opened up a little bit, but it brings together an amazing diversity of puzzle makers, and I mean mechanical puzzles, puzzles made of wood, glass, steel, uh, plastic, 3D printing these days, beautiful craftsmanship, magicians, magicians, recreational mathematicians, illusionists. Uh, it's extraordinary, the people you meet there. John Conway, the English mathematician, um, Will Short, who does the Sudoku and Crossword puzzles for the New York Times, David Blaine has been, I believe, you know, really top, top-notch people. Yeah. And that's still going on every... It's every two years, and the next one is going to be March of this coming year, 2014. Yeah. It has grown now to about 500 people. Oh, right. Martin, Martin only came to the first two. He was a little overwhelmed because he was a shy man, and he, he couldn't deal with 80 people as it was in those days. Mm. All wanted to shake his hand and tell him how much he had changed their lives. He really couldn't handle it. Yeah. So he never came back after the first two. He went for the first two with his wife, and then he just he just preferred to let us get on with us, and he got on with his writing books. Mm. But when he died, which was three and a half years ago, something interesting happened. The man who kind of started the gathering for gardeners, the man called Tom Rogers here in Atlanta, a businessman who had interest in recreational mathematics and also a book collector. Sadly, he passed away a year ago. But he had the great idea, along with some of the other gathering for gardener foundational people to do something that could be shared more globally and would be free, not an insider conference. And that's called the Celebration of Mind. And that takes place every October, in and around his birthday. His birthday is the 21st of October. But actually, I gave a talk yesterday here at Dragon Con Atlanta on Martin as his skeptical side, because he was big in skepticism. He was one of the founders of it. That was considered the kickoff event. So anytime from September to December is fine. And we had some in England. Adrian Fisher, the puzzle maze person, uh, he did he did one I know, and I think Colin Wright's done one. There have been some in England, not as many as we'd like. We'd like to see some in Wales and Scotland too. So we'd really encourage people in the UK to come on board. If they go to celebrationofmind.org, or just Google the word celebration of mind, there's very helpful information about how to how to attend one if there's one in your neighborhood or if there isn't, how to start one. It could be as simple as three people having a glass of cider talking about puzzles. It could be a lecture. It could be a library meeting for children or adults. It could be, I mean, in Israel and China, they had meetings with 800 people. It can be disorganized. It can be organized. And it's not about Martin. It's about the things he made us think about, recreational mathematics, rationality, 
Alice in Wonderland, Chess, these are all big interests of his that he wrote about, and obviously Magic. Yeah, well, um, I've never been to one, because I, I live way out in the sticks in uh, Newcastle, so we're, we're nowhere near anywhere. Uh, maybe well, I should start Newcastle one this year. Near Newcastle, I hear. Yes, it's oh, quite and close. Oh, it's on the Tyne River, so you could have a Tyne Fest uh, <laughs> celebration of mine. You could be the person to start it. Yes, I might do that this year. Um, Just a couple of people. It doesn't have to be big. So yep. Register on the site, get Newcastle on the map. <laughs> We'd love to have you on board. Yeah. Amazingly, among Martin's prolific output in his last years was an autobiography, which I don't believe he told many people, if anybody, about. And I think they found it in his papers when they were sitting at his room. He wrote it, I believe, about four years before he died, roughly speaking. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. Princeton University Press is publishing it. It's called Undiluted Hocus Pocus, the autobiography of Martin Gardner. I've had a sneak preview of it, and it looks wonderful. It's very short. I mean, he wrote large books sometimes on philosophy, and there's a couple of 500-page books he did on magic. He wasn't going to write 500 pages of that himself, because that's not the kind of fellow he was. So it's a modest book. But it'll be fascinating to, to see his own autobiography. Next year, 2014, will be his centenary. So we're really pushing to have a huge worldwide celebration of all things Gardner and, and you know the things he made us think about, not just the man, but his legacy, his written legacy, next year. And I was very gratified when the Mathematical Association of America, in conjunction with the other big mathematical organizations here in the States, decided to make mathematics magic and mystery the theme of mathematics awareness month in the u.s next april there's always a theme this year i think it was math and the environment and mathematics magic and mystery was the name of one of his very famous books from the 1950s the first book for the general public as opposed to inside magicians that gave away the secrets of some very new and compelling mathematical magic including card tricks magic squares disappearing areas tricks with cigarettes and coins and matchsticks and cigars, props that were very common and very simple in those days. So we're very happy that Mathematics, Magic and Mystery is the official team of Mathematics Awareness Month next year in the States, and there's no reason why people all over the planet shouldn't follow suit. Indeed. Uh, I look forward to reading the book. I lost the copy of the draft that you sent me. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to order a physical copy, though. It looks like it's, it's well worth having. Um, it's, uh, it's nice. It's, they did a very great job, CRC Press. Uh, A.K. Peters did a wonderful job with the production. Every page is colored, lots of color on every page. You know, every heart and diamond is in red. Uh, every new principle is marked with a little green bow tie. So it's uh, it looks very nice. Mm. I'm very happy with how it came out. And I Great. hope people enjoy it. And apart from that, you've already mentioned your, your card column at the MAA. Um, you haven't mentioned the columns you wrote for us at the A Periodical, which it, and this is my first opportunity to really thank you for, because we've, we've never talked um, right. Well, I, I, I owe you a massive apologies for mysteriously vanishing about <laughs> a year and two months ago when I finally decided I'd better finish this book. However, I, I do plan uh, to write more for you. I, oh. I promise you. I, I actually, I'm, I'm also writing for the Huffington Post and I'm doing more general stuff for them. Again, I haven't actually written for them for a few months, mm. but the more technical stuff, that the more sophisticated, intelligent, uh, motivated a periodical reader would enjoy i think i will be offering you some hopefully oh. coming autumn that's great thanks um you're under no pressure to do that because unlike everyone else we're not paying you um <laughs> i understand but if you don't if you don't put pressure on yourself nothing gets done yeah so, exactly know, it's 13 years to write this book basically yeah it's showing um, the, the the joy that you get from these kinds of things yeah no it's, i mean you know the, when you learn something that new as, as a teacher 
I, I think it's a natural instinct you want to tell people. You have various opportunities, and blogging is a terrific new opportunity. And depending on the level, if it's about mathematical card magic, obviously I'm going to put it in the MAA. If it's not too sophisticated and doesn't have equations, I might put it in another blog like the Huffington Post. But, you know, I think the AP article is playing a wonderful role, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's very diverse, very entertaining. You've got a great group of writers. Uh, long may it prosper, and if I can contribute to that, uh, I certainly look forward to doing so. When something new impinges on my brain and I want to share it with the world, there'll be a time when I'll say, the AP article is the right audience, and you know, two days later you might have something. Okay, great. Well, uh, we'll look forward to it. Uh, thank you again for talking to me, Colm. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, Christian. Um, great, and uh, I hope your book goes uh, very well. Thank you. So that was nice to talk to Colm. Now, Katie, you came up to Newcastle last week to attend the British Science Festival. I did, that's true. I was there partly representing the Mathematical Sciences section of the British Science Association and introducing events that were going on under the banner of mathematical sciences, of which there were a creditable number, I have to say. Creditable number? Yeah, is that a type of number already? Is it in Sloan? Oh, right, okay, that's a challenge. Um, <laughs> okay, so were there any particularly good ones or ones that you attended? Um, so there were, uh, there were ones that I attended that included the presidential lecture, uh, which was given by the president of the math section of the British Science Association, uh, which was about using technology in teaching maths. Uh, and I'm sure a periodical co-author Peter Rowlett may have some words to say on that topic, I well, guess. I have some words to say um, that, because it's my job as well. <laughs> that's true, isn't it? Yeah. It wasn't great, but there you go. Well, everyone loves using technology and teaching maths. Uh, there was also a debate about maths and, well, it was it was a session about maths and climate change. Uh, so there was a lot of discussion about how maths is used to model the climate. And I think at the beginning they asked for a show of hands uh, who believed and didn't believe in man-made climate change and two people were uh, not believing in man-made climate change uh, which made for an interesting Q&A uh, although I don't know if they actually said anything like by the end they realized they were so outnumbered that they weren't going to try and bring that up but anyway um, there was also a session called how to be a maths millionaire which was like a really nice uh, roundup of a few different bits of maths so they were talking about being a maths billionaire i.e how google searches work uh, which was quite a nice talk. And then there was one about the uh, Millennium Prize problems, which is how to become a maths millionaire. Uh, although, obviously, as was pointed out in the talk, there are significantly easier ways to become a millionaire using mathematics. And then there was also a bit about um, uh, cubic equations and how in the 15th century, the Italians were all fighting about cubic equations and doing uh, like competitions to see who could solve the most cubic equations and stuff. And then someone was like, hey, general formula, guys, it's not that hard. So that was quite fun. Matt Parker, obviously, Professor Matt Parks, friend of the site, was there. And he did a magic show for families at the weekend. Uh, he also was there doing Festival of the Spoken Nerd, which is about um, stuff. That's a, that's a wonderful advert for the show. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's genuinely an excellent show. It's a comedy show that is Matt and two physicists or something. Uh, and they do comedy, and it's it's the t the show that they did is the one that they're going to be touring the UK with early next year. Uh, so watch out for that because there's quite a lot of fire in it, so you might you know get set on fire. There was also a session which I missed because I wasn't there yet, but I think Matt was there introducing, uh, which was about a thing called Prime Grid, uh, which I think my understanding is it's a bit like GIMPs, which is the Great Internet Mercen Prime Search. 
uh, where you kind of download software onto your computer and use it to search for prime numbers. Uh, but they do kind of other prime numbers, maybe not just Mersenne primes. I'm not sure. Yeah, they do, um, they do quite a few kinds. Uh, if you go to primegrid.com, there's the prime Sierpinski problem. There's the Proth prime search, the Riesel problem. There's 17 or bust. Is that they're just looking for 17? <laughs> oh, we found it. We found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be good to know what that is. There aren't Wikipedia links on each of these things, but. Yeah, I think the idea is that you install something on your computer and it crunches away on these problems while you're... Oh, there are links underneath. Oh, the 17 or bust is also solving the Sierpinski problem, but not the prime Sierpinski problem. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, so so we both missed that, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yeah. I think they gave a talk about prime numbers and introduced kind of what prime numbers are and the history of prime number searches and then about how to find a new prime number... Uh, they use the phrase world record, which makes people come to science festival events, uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's the, all the stuff about it that you really need to know is at primegrid.com, uh, and we'll give a short link for that. It's primegrid.com. Good. Uh, uh, and, and obviously, of course, uh, at the British Science Festival, uh, all science is maths. So that's that's the other maths events, every other the, event. Uh, pedant police just coming to get you there. All science <laughs> is maths? Yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah. I could say everything's maths. I'm not that everything's easy. maths. I'm a very exclusionary mathematician. <laughs> oh, also, uh, I got a free calculator. That was that was the best bit. I was just kind of walking through the campus uh, at the University of Newcastle, and they were just giving out free calculators. And I was like, oh, best science festival ever. And it's actually quite a nice calculator. It's, it's sponsored by Saudi Aramco. I just thought I'd get that plug in. Uh, but it's also a floppy calculator, so it's like uh, you, you might be able to hear me flopping it now. It's kind of flopping around, um, but it's it's got like massive buttons with a big seventies font on them, but they're really clicky, so it's quite nice. And it's got a memory function as well, and it's got a dot. That's useful. All do all calculators have dot? They do, don't they? Dots. Um, like point. Yeah, well, you got to have a dot, otherwise you can't do decimal. You could just divide by ten. Yeah, but that's needlessly long-winded. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put the calculator away now. I feel a couple of other things we haven't mentioned. Oh, Professor Robin Johnson um, of Newcastle's Maths Department. I saw him running out the door. In fact, we both saw him, didn't we? Running out the door with a big case of things, saying he was going to do 16 sessions on whether the Angel of the North can fly. Ah, yeah. Uh, oh, also the um, the the guys who are trying to get a UK Maths Museum off the ground. Uh, they were around in the Centre for Life, which is a big science centre in Newcastle near the train station. Um, and I think they had a bunch of exciting, interesting things possibly to do with um, dropping things down slopes and measuring the maths of that. Uh, and I think they were just generally trying to canvas opinions about what you would like to see in a, in a maths museum. Um, so they, they may well have up to an idea by now, um, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see, because I think they're kind of looking for a place to put it and some ideas of what to put in it and some money in order to do that. Uh, So they currently just have the idea of doing a maths museum, but I'm definitely keen to see that happen. So I'm I'm very supportive of those guys. Mm. Yeah, I emailed whoever's in charge. Is it John Bibby he's called? John Bibby, yeah. Yeah, I emailed him saying I'd like to meet the people when they're up there and complete silence. Mm. Well, no, apparently they were just hanging around in in the museum all week. Cost like fifteen quid to go in there. So. Uh, there was also um, uh, Doctor Maths, the only Doctor oh, yeah. Maths. That's a that's a unique identifier for him. Um, yeah. Steve Humble did some mazes on the floor outside. To clarify, not the only Doctor of Maths. Well, I don't know if that's the claim he's making. 
Um, I don't think anyone else is called Dr. Maths. Like, if your surname was Maths and you didn't do a PhD in it, you'd be wasting your time, basically. But no, I don't think anyone else is called specifically Dr. Maths. Okay. Well, good. Uh, yeah, so he did these mazes, which, um, as far as I can tell, they're all just uh, instances of the kind of mazes you get on logicmazes.com. So some of them were, like, they have pluses and minuses around them, and you have to navigate around it and get a specific target number by the time you get to the exit, that kind of thing. Yeah, I saw some kids cheating on them. How do you cheat on a thing that has no rules? Yeah, um, well, there, there was one where you have to go a certain number of squares in a straight line, and then whichever square you land on, you take the number in that square and go that many squares in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was just like, oh, one, two, three, and just walked in an L shape around the corner and was like, done it. Uh, oh, dear. And I kind of wanted to step in and go, excuse me, I think you're fine. But one of his mates got in there before I um, before I needed to do that. I would have just been a strange random person on the street interfering with their enjoyment of the uh, maths maze. Yeah, they discovered on their own. Mm. I, did, I did find one of the maths mazes which said, um, one of the number ones where you add them up and it said, can you make a total of 10? And then it also said... Um, what's the largest number you can make? But in fact, there was a loop of four squares in there that if you just kept walking around them, you could infinite. You could make, in theory, any any number. Um, there was like a plus two and then a times two and then a minus one. Or it was a plus two and a times two, and you could just step back and forth between those two, uh, in theory, forever. Uh, so unless the challenge was what's the largest number you can be bothered to make, um, I'd say the answer to that one is infinity. Unless maybe that was the thing. Maybe they were supposed to realise that you could make infinity. Whoa. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. Well, you can only make uh, Aleph naught, so... True. I guess the thing that was nice about it was that the, the, they were essentially the only things that were kind of just out on the street all the time for people to go and interact with. Um, yeah, that was weird. Bats. Yeah, no, none of the other sciences. No one had left, like, some cells lying around on the floor. Maybe they had, I don't know. <laughs> um, but no biologists appeared to have... Oh, maybe they'd sloughed off some skin cells and just left them lying around yeah, for people to investigate. Mm, less appealing. Well, they were the science buskers, weren't they? Did you see that? Yes, although they were doing maths busking as well, I think. They'd been trained by the team at maths busking to do maths well, alongside their science busking. It's easily explained, because mathematicians are renowned for being the most outgoing and... Uh, chatty of sciences yeah. so yeah all the mathematicians i've met have been great all of no them. they they were doing math stuff as well which is good good Just getting in people's faces with maths yeah so in general it was would you say it was a good festival i think it was i think it was the um the people that were at the math section events that i was chatting to were saying uh that there was a good showing of math section events uh, and they're hoping to to come up with some more good stuff to put on next year as well but I think the British Science Festival always does quite well because they have this this system of the sections of the British Science Association all kind of put on and, and organise and support events that are happening. So um, maths always gets a good showing because they've got quite a good team. I mean, also in general, it's also a really good science festival. <laughs> I should add. <laughs> I don't. I don't just care about maths. Also, science is well represented. They had some really cool events. They had. Um, Ugly Animal Preservation Society, uh, which is a thing that um, I think is a biologist uh, is doing where he gets people to champion slightly strange looking um, creatures from the world of animals uh, and kind of tell everyone about them. And there was a bit of a YouTube vote competition going on with those. And then they had a big show on the final night that was uh, that was good fun. There was a show called, oh, what was it called? It was about light bulbs. It was about the, the rivalry between Edison and Swan. 
and Swan is from Newcastle, so it was super relevant. Uh, it was called Lumen, um, and it's like a stage show about about that rivalry and the history of all of the the invention of the light bulb, stuff like that. That was good. Mm, okay, good. I think we've talked about the science festival for probably long enough now, given that it's finished. That's true. Yeah. 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 You should have gone. Oh, why weren't you there? Go in the past. People were there. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for in this edition of the podcast. And until next time, goodbye. And I suppose we'd better close the brackets. Oh, it's all squared. Yeah.